turn it up. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests. Stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn them the Marketing Millennials podcast is back. Today, I'm joined by Sangram Vare, co-founder of Termas, an account-based marketing platform for B2B. And he previously ran marketing for Parda that acquired, got acquired by Exact Target and then Salesforce. Sangram also runs the Peak Community, an invite-only private community of the best marketers and market leaders to connect and learn and get 1% better each day. He also has two books and runs a top 50 business podcast. What doesn't this guy do? I'm pleased to welcome Sangram to the podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Daniel. Well, I mean, it's always uh, hard to follow that and say like, well, okay, what do I say? Is that person full of himself or is this person actually of any fact? So hopefully people will find that there's some substance in, in what we talked today. Yeah, I'm excited. I want to start just the... Basic, because I want to show talk about like how you rose to become like this marketing leader. Like, what was your path? Like, how did that happen? Yeah, it, it definitely wasn't conventional as most people would would assume it to be. I don't have a marketing degree. I have my bachelor's, my master's is in computer science, and I worked at a early startup in my very early days and just just getting out of school. And I fell in love with the idea that you can put something out there and immediately see results. Like, you know, you write a great copy and you see people engaging. Um, you, you put an offer out there and then people actually follow and actually buy stuff. Uh, you, th- those things just blew my mind. So someone who came from a techie background, I just fell in love with this instant gratification of knowing what you do, it has some results and you know what works, what doesn't. So that got me into like, I literally went from a program manager at a company here in Atlanta to like a business analyst in marketing because I literally wanted to pursue marketing and I didn't know anything. So I just took the lowest job possible in marketing at that time. It's like a startup company, an analyst, didn't pay a whole lot. I'm like, that's fine. I just want to learn. And because I was so curious about the job and I didn't care what my role was, I didn't know that there's product marketing, there's demand gen, there's content. I did not have any of those things. I just went and tried to do any and everything. And in six months, they made me the director of marketing that led me to become more strategic about why we do what we do. And that got me into in an app and then Parlot and Terminus. So all in all, I think it was really my sheer curiosity of how do I find and do things that will stimulate something on the other side for the other people? And I wanted to see that happen in real life and marketing was the best way to do it. And where did this passion for account-based marketing come? Like, where did that stem from? That came from a pain point. Not, not, that was, that, that probably is the other part, what I think will motivate everybody is this pain. So when I was at Parat, as you said, as running marketing, we got acquired by uh, Salesforce and I was at Salesforce. We hit every number possible that particular quarter that the sales team or the company wanted us to do. So as a part, I was a small business unit in Salesforce at that time. That's pretty big. But we hit like, I think, 30,000 leads or something like that for that quarter. 
it was phenomenal. The whole team was excited. Everybody felt great. The sales team was like, good job, great job. This is 2011, 2012, I think. And my head of sales came to me and Daniel, kid you not, he came to me and he said, Sangra, you and your team did a phenomenal job. That's fantastic. Can you generate a thousand more leads next month? And at that point, I just sank in my seat because I felt I'm nothing better than a coin-operated lead machine. Like, that's my job. It seems like 30,000 is not enough. And I'm like, why are we not talking about pipeline velocity? Why are we not talking about expansion and deals and trying to sell other products in here? Why are we not talking about the velocity of these deals that are just sitting there? Why are we not talking about all of these things? But I couldn't get anywhere. And that's at Salesforce, right? And it wasn't because the process didn't work. It clearly works for Salesforce, but I felt like as a marketer, I felt like I wasn't just doing my job. That led me to, to just find out, is there a better way to do this? And that's when you know, the whole idea of Terminus came about, the flip my funnel, the whole movement, all that started because of me sitting. And I actually posted something on LinkedIn about that story where I literally was sitting on a flight back from San Francisco to Atlanta, and I was drawing the funnel. As we all know, the traditional funnel is broad at the top, narrow at the bottom. And out of pure boredom, I just flipped it. And I said, what if it started with the right companies you want to go after and you engage them, you don't spend any time, money, energy on anybody but them, and then convert them into customers? Wouldn't that be a better way? And I posted that. It kind of went viral. This is like 20 to 2012. So five people read it. And I thought that was fantastic. And that led to the whole movement of Flip My Funnel. But it really started with the pain that I felt at that very moment when I felt literally like a coin-operated lead machine. That's it. super interesting because I think one thing I want to dig deep into is like, how do you know like these are your customers? Because I think like a lot of people, and I think a big mistake, and I think it, it comes from oh, just like the old school marketing ways is that there's personas and all these stuff and like people are like this is what my customer is but like they don't actually like know like why they're buying and what they're doing so how do you like does someone come and say like let's start building out my list of who i want to go after these are the the companies and i know that they will potentially have the pain point i need to solve their problem like how does that process go yeah, it's a great question. And it really depends on the size of your company or, or how long you have been in business. So if you are someone who has been in business for a year or longer, at this point, hopefully you have a, a product market fit. You recognize that your product works for a certain segment. And now you know we need to get more of them. So for example, somebody would say, we sell to Fortune 500 financial services companies. Now, if that's who you are, then it makes no sense for you to run Google ads waiting for somebody to find you. Why not go after you? The list of Fortune 500 companies is readily available. You can very quickly segment to the, the, the financial services companies and just go after them. And that, that is a classic example of B2B. If most companies, and Daniel, the more conversation I've had, I've realized that majority of the B2B companies, they have a very small market that they actually go after. Now, in the early days of founding Terminus, we used to go and do this venture capital uh, you know, road shows and try to raise money. And we would say that our market opportunity is $3 billion. And the reality is that even today, we have 1,000 customers. 
That's five years after Terminus was, was founded. And we are doing pretty good. We have 250 people. There's a thousand customers. But that's it. If you really think about it, at that point, we are projecting about 150,000 customers. There is no way we're going to make 100,000, 150,000 customers even in the next five years. So the point I realized, and, and for people who are like, well, is ABM right for me or not? The reality is, if you're in B2B, your market is actually pretty narrow. It's not that broad, which means you probably need to close 10 more deals this quarter to meet your number. You probably need to close, if you're a company, 100 more deals in a year in order to meet your number. So that's such a small pool Then when you start so broad, you actually dilute your value proposition. Now, imagine if you're going after going to the same example, Fortune 500 financial services companies, imagine if you just went after them, how specific, how relevant, how targeted your message will be for them, because that's who you're going after. And, and I think that's where ABM becomes. So if somebody's a startup company who hasn't really know their customer, you're right. For them, they're putting a whole bunch of uh, things in the, out there and trying to see what works. But if you're a mid-sized company, if you're a $10 million and more company, you absolutely got to know what are your best customers look like, and you should go after them. And that's what ABM really is. I want to dive in, into like what are the most successful touch points of like ABM because I think like you can use a lot of different strategies, but I want to see like which strategies you've seen work very well compared to like the ones that people kind of throw money away on because I think yeah. there are the good ones and there are like people who do terrible ABM strategies. That's a, that, that's so interesting. The majority of the conversations I have, Dan, when people say, well, okay, we bought into it, makes sense to go for the right companies, for the right message at the right time, cliche, makes sense. Where do I start? And the answer to that question really is that you don't really start with the top of the funnel. You actually start with your pipe because those companies have already raised their hand and said, we're going to buy from either you or your competitor. Your sales are bought into it. They're working those deals. They're, they're, their job depends on closing those deals. So if you can focus on those pipeline deals, you can very quickly see if it works or not. And talking about touch points, this is where you can get creative. Let's say you're targeting, use, let's say use the same example. Let's say there are five companies right now in, the, in your pipeline that are in financial services. Instead of sending them the same ebook that you send to everybody, imagine taking the same ebook and turning that into a, a 80% of the content is the same, but you change the 20% and make it about financial services, add numbers, data around that, and send it to those 10 companies and 10 people. Chances are they're going to look at it. They're going to engage with that. They're going to see value in that. And that allows your sales team to have more, more access to them. So the touch points really are the same, but you do it differently. As an ex Another example would be instead of expecting hundreds of people for your webinars, Imagine if you just created a webinar, which is what we did actually this year because of pandemic. We created webinars for like healthcare industry. We do really well with them. So we created, let's just bring the CMOs of the top 10 healthcare companies. All of them came in 90% show rate. We made sure that it's very limited to only 20 people or so, no more than that. The conversations were deep. The relationship was strong. And it wasn't more of like, here's what we do. It was more of like, how do we solve problems? So it literally, the, the many of options is the same. Ebook, webinar, direct mail, um, website personalization. But because you know who you're going after, your ebook becomes about them. 
your webinars is on that particular industry or a segment. Your website is not just your terminus.com, it goes to your company.com, terminus.com slash, let's just say Snowflake, Snowflake. And now you're creating more valuable conversation. So it's so interesting you ask that question because I get that all the time. Like, tell me the one strategy that will work. It's the same strategies, but now you're very specific in how you're going about it. Yeah, I'm also interested in like, what are some like creative strategies you've seen? Like that, like, cause I think there are those strategies that do work, but there's also like how many times have the same people seen the same strategy played on them, right? Like, like, okay, yeah. like you've sent me a nice like gift, cool. Like you, you've shared with me like the top eBooks for marketing operations. Like how are you going to grab my attention that like 30, because B2Bs, as you know, like the space and tech and MarTech and all this stuff is growing. So you can't stand out being so much the same. Like, so what are some creative ways you've seen that this happen? Well, the reality is as much as, and you know, I talk to uh, ABM strategy, literally, literally every day, I have about three or four different conversations with companies on strategy. I tell you what, literally, 98, 99% of the companies are still, who say they're doing ABM are not doing ABM. They're still doing the standard operating and they're just trying to tone down the scale of it, but they're still trying to do everything at, oh, let's just do the same thing for everybody. And I, in my book, ABM is B2B, I wrote down that in B2B, some accounts are going to deserve champagne and some are going to deserve sparkling water. And if you look at your accounts and you're sending them the same message over and over again, then you're not treating them differently. And if you don't treat them differently, then you're not valuing them differently, which means they're all the same. So a $100,000 deal and a million dollar deal, you got to have different way of connecting with them. So more specifically, I'll give an example of Snowflake. I think we all know that company is doing really well. I wish I had bought stock for that company because they've been a, such a long customer pre-IPO. And now that they've gone IPO big time, they hired about four interns when they started on this journey of ABM. And Daniel Day, who ran their program, he would have them create just landing pages for all the companies that their sales team is targeting. So literally imagine snowflake.com slash Levi's. That was one of their customers or the, the customer leads they were targeting. And that particular, the landing page was all about them. Nothing was gated, everything was open. The email the sales team sent said that, hey, we created a website for you. Go and look at snowflake.com slash Levi's. They saw a bunch of people coming to that website. The direct mail was same, is the same colors. The email they sent out to them and uh, the chat bot that appeared also talked about the name. So they connected every dot possible. When I tell that story and go back and look at how many companies do it, it's still less than 1%. So you're right. I think more and more people are like probably sending, but they're sending it so one-off. They're not trying to do it systematically for tier by tier customers or companies. So I feel a year from now, we might start seeing that, okay, what's new? But right now, it's still just less than 1% of the companies. That's awesome. Yeah, I think, I think like, and this is just in like marketing in general, like if you're going to go for like an ABM strategy or you're going to go dominate like LinkedIn, like you have to put a hundred percent in that, that yes. strategy. Like you can't go 40%. And this is like, there's an argument that people always argue in, and it's because people think of the stock market. And I do agree there should be a small percentage of 
diversification channels, right? But I have this theory that I mean, like, even when you start, you have to you, you have to dominate one platform. And people are like, oh, what if it dies tomorrow? Like, okay, but still, like, you have to build up an audience and dominate a channel before you can even think of like going to take on another channel like yes you can do these little micro tests on the side 10 percent of your budget whatever but if you're like a well-oiled facebook machine or a well-oiled like linkedin advertising like you can take the learnings from that and replicate it other places but you still have to be great at that platform. And like a lot of people try to over diversify their channel strategy instead of like stick with the couple of touch points that they're really good at because they can create that great experience like you're saying. Yeah, it, it, it does. Tori, who ran our demand gen and ABM program at one point, he's now worked with Kareem, uh, who was, they were Snack Nation before. And he shared something that was really interesting. He taught me because he was practicing it and I was just preaching it, but he was practicing it. So I always would go back to him like, all right, what's working, what's changing? And he's like, a lot of people, when they think about ABM, they complicate it. They think they have to figure out everything before they start which is like any business, right? You know, you, if you overthink it, you will never start it, never do it. And that's where a lot of people are. A lot of people are fatigued by the idea of, oh my God, I need to create a landing page and a, a special ad, a direct mail that connects with it, give them a salespeople, a clear template just for that one company. I could do that for 100 companies. Why would I do it for one? So they overcomplicate it and they, they talk themselves out of doing the right thing. But he shared something that was really interesting and he tested that out. And this was when we were running this manufacturing campaign that I was talking about. He's like, look, you really don't need to do all the things at once. I'm like, well, that's interesting. So I don't have to run ads, direct mail, all this. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I'm targeting these 300 companies in manufacturing industry right now. I'm running purely, all I'm doing is running advertising with them. And as soon as I see some of these companies showing interest in what we do. If they start coming to our website, if they click on an ad or if they engage with on our website directly, doesn't matter what it is, but if they do, I get an alert. And then I add the next layer to it. I, that, until that point, I don't even involve sales. I say, oh, that's great. Let's just create a landing page for them and let them know that we created something like that and get my salesperson involved. If that works, then they, or if that's something that you start engaging in, then they, he would add direct mail to it as part of the acceleration process of it. And I'm like, oh my God, so you're not even thinking about all these things. Like, I don't, I know what I might do, but I'm not going to choose all those options, get go. And I will only do that if that it makes sense for that particular account. Goes back to like, you got to treat some with champagne and some with sparkling water. I think he was literally doing that with those set of accounts. And I think one thing you 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 say that's pretty crucial is the the patient aspect of it. Like, because a lot of people marketers are trying to drive a pipeline number or drive a sales number, and what happens is like they can't even for bigger accounts that there's buying cycles long. You have to like they have to convince a bunch of people in the company like to like buy in they're they probably on a, a year contract with someone so you kind of might have to wait till their contracts up like there's all these like things buying things that go into it and like if you're not patient with these a lot of these companies like you could have been two months down the line closing the deal but you gave up on them yeah it, it happens all the time and i think those situations where people try to act over smart on it or try to overdo 
it backfires in many ways. So I'm, I'm just recognizing that the reason ABM fails in most organizations, even before starting, is because they either overcomplicate it or they go and announce to the company saying, hey, we're going to do ABM. So the world is going to change and everybody freaks out. They're like, well, what is this thing? I don't know. I don't trust it. That becomes a problem. Your expectations are off, uh, off the charts. Or number three is where they are actually don't have a marketing and sales alignment to a level where sales doesn't trust what marketing is doing. So it becomes a, a war between my strategy versus your strategy, which is why if anybody ever asks, if nobody gets anybody, anything out of our conversation and if they're testing ABM, I'll say, this is where you start. You start with pipeline velocity because your sales is already bought into it. Your CFO and CEO is looking at it. The sales job depends on it. And you will have in real data at the end of the quarter if it worked or not. And that's how you build a relationship. And then a lot of times the sales team will come to you and say, oh my gosh, Daniel, you did this for me. Can you do this for everybody on my team, right? And that's when you start doing more of ABM in the organization. I have an interesting question because there is, I know a lot of companies probably have this problem and say you're selling to enterprise and SMB, right? The way you measure the marketing for SMB is different than you measured for enterprise. So how do you get like the measuring of impact of multiple departments to roll up to like that number? Because like, for example, like everybody's in multi-touch and stuff, which is, I think is kind of overrated sometimes, but, but I also think like, especially for enterprise, like, Marking probably can doesn't want to buy in if like sales reps are like working multiple accounts and they their efforts and their spend don't get to like equate to selling that customer. And then also the opposite, like like outbound might not want to like go after the customer because like marketing brought in the customer and now it's not part of their number. So like how do you shift the mentality for like these ABMs and measure it versus like the ones that are going to be direct sales. Like there are going to be like those SMB customers that you're going to get through the funnel pretty fast. You don't have to do the champagne strategy on them, but there are those SMBs. So I just wanted to dig into a little bit of that because I think having one measuring model for enterprise and SMB is very hard way of thinking because I think like it does, One's a direct sale, direct touch, and one's like a multiple touch, a lot of touch. Like this is not saying like five touches that a normal buyer makes. It's like three hundred touches. Yeah. So. Now you, you're you're right. So one thing uh, I'll refer back to one of the myths I talked about or truths actually. What we talked about in the book was mark the value of marketing is defined by sales. That's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of marketers. Uh, if somebody's listening to this, they're like, well, no, I do content and I do events. I do this or that and the other. But the reality is that, look, the value of marketing is defined by sales. So if your sales numbers are crappy, you're going to get fired, period. Or something's going to change. You, you're just not going to work. Uh, and I've been around enough marketing organizations that I've seen that happen more often than not. Brilliant marketers get fired because they don't know how sales work. Number, the second part, when at Terminus, when we started, when we were an SMB in a very early stage of our sub 10 million, when we were like literally, I think 5 million probably at that time. And we're like, we got to eat our own dog food or drink our own champagne. We got to do this thing better than anybody else. Let's do it. Marketing owned it. 
it failed. We failed three times. The first time we failed because marketing owned it and said, we're going to come up with the accounts and we're going to distribute with SMB and enterprise and we're going to figure this thing out. Sales didn't buy into it. We worked hard. The campaign was beautiful. Nobody really did anything. Sales didn't follow up. They worked on their accounts. It failed. We're like, okay, well, take two. Sales, you come up with the accounts. You tell us which accounts you want us to work on and we'll work on them. Failed again. Because they, in some ways, they were saying, well, we need to go sell Nike or we need to go and talk to like the big comp Coke. Like, but those are not our target accounts. Those are not where we can go in. It's not easy for us to get into those accounts. It doesn't make sense. Failed. So the only time it actually worked was when marketing and sales sat down in a room and said, okay, guys, we're going to look at our accounts. We're going to find out from customer success which accounts are actually working based on that, which industries we're good at. Based on that, we're going to come up with a list of accounts to go after, and we're all going to have these accounts assigned to the sales team. We're going to go from 800 accounts to 100 accounts per salesperson, and marketing is going to be fully focused on those 100 accounts. We don't care if it comes through inbound. We don't care if it comes through outbound. We are all in it together. Marketing bonus, everything was tied to it. Nobody ever talked about leads from that day. And that is the only way we have seen it purely work in organization when your numbers for marketing and sales are the same, they're in a room coming with a list of accounts. Every other way, I've seen it fail. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting point. And I, I've kind of brought this up like in other companies I've been at too. I think like for enterprise, I feel like the marketing, the outbound and inbound number should be the same number. Like, yeah, you, you they should on the, like for SMB and like thing like yeah inbound outbound you get to direct impact because it's quick but enterprise i feel like yeah they should own one number and like then you can measure touch points internally and like say like how did my marketing mix like work do yeah. this do this but like if one of the five close and you spend whatever it's easy to equate like spend to like that end result of that account being in your system so i think like I think that's a great point. I think they, in enterprise, like own, like marketing sales and outbound should be in the same page, own the same number. And then they're all fighting for the same goal. Nobody's fighting for credit. Nobody's fighting for like, I did this versus you did yeah. this mentality. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen, I mean, you can tell me, Daniel, if you've ever seen, I've, I've seen companies 10, 20, 50, $80 million with sales team, but no marketing team. I've seen that over and over again. I've never seen a 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 million dollar company with only marketing team and no sales team. If you're mm -hmm. in B2B and if you're selling. So it just, our job as marketers is to drive business, drive outcomes, but you drive it differently. And if your number is different, like I had in my days at Pardot, it was a problem. It was a problem because you were, I was going after the wrong thing. I, I would have created more leads to just frustrate the sales team and then create this arbitrary SLAs of MQL, SQL, SAL. The reason all of these things were created was because you didn't know who was coming in the door. But if you're doing ABM, all of those filters are gone. Like it's like you invited somebody to the party at your place and you see them through the door and you say, wait a minute, show your ID. It, it makes no sense. That's why the, the reason if you're doing ABM, you don't need forms is because you know who the person is on your website. The reason the chat bot can automatically talk to them because they know who this person is. 
The reason you can create a landing page with no gate in it because you don't need to know that. Your salesperson should get immediate alert as soon as that account that you and sales team deemed to be important is on your website. You don't need to qualify them. So I think those gates we created, and I come from marketing automation world. I was one of the ones who advocated for those once upon a time. But those gates were created because the funnel was broad and it didn't matter who came in. You're just standing on a freeway. Do you want a car wash? And now if you're doing ABM, you're literally going to a neighborhood that have a bunch of Ferraris. And now you're saying you want a car wash. You're going to make a lot more money that way than standing on a freeway. That's what ABM does. Yeah. And I also think the flip my funnel is an interesting concept, not only like finding accounts, but I think the concept of like, you need to have a well-oiled machine to be able to handle accounts. Marketers can bring in a bunch of people, like it's proven. But if you don't have a good product, if you don't have a good sales team, if you don't have a good CS org, if you don't have all these like foundations of a good business, like starting to turn the flip the switch to bring more like accounts in the funnel, like is a dangerous strategy because you don't have the the machine to handle it. Yeah. It's like the same as what you're saying of like accounts. Like, I think it's the same, like the sales team needs to be, you, if you're going to do ABM, you need to have P- salespeople who know how to build relationships. You're going to have that. You have to have that well-oiled machine as well, that they know how to like do these multiple touch points. They are actually making these multiple touch points. Like, it has to be that relationship of like well oil machine low bottle of funnel, even like, and I kind of see the funnel even going further into like the onboarding and CS. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. Like you have to have all of that because you have to be able to retain this big customer. You have to be able to offer premier service to this big customer. You have to have all these like other pieces because then they'll just churn and then they'll talk and you've yep. lost you have one big customer talking to the whole industry that you suck and yeah you're kind of yeah. it happens all the time right it happens with the, the the value of focusing on the right accounts and making them your advocates not just customer is amazing as a founder oh having a thousand customers i can't tell you how much more time i'm spending on customers because that's where because they're all are having their own their small peak communities. They're all in all these places where they're having these conversations. And if, if you haven't treated them well, you can see that it can negatively impact them. The, you're impacted even more because the more bigger your company, the more noise, it, the more customers you have, the more negative it can be if you're not doing the right thing. I want to also go into like ABM at scale a little bit because I think a lot of companies know and what's brilliant about marketing these days is that like, LinkedIn and stuff like that. You can put in a list of your accounts and you could go target the CMO of the company and you do, but like how, I know we've talked a little bit about like, okay, the strategy of that, but like, what if they, they is that I know some people do have scale of ABM because they can target multiple industries. They could target multiple verticals. Like they could target a lot of things. So how do you, think about it at scale when you want to like scale out like ABM. Cause I do think like most marketing in general should be ABM mindset in the, if you think about it, like, because like you should know who your customer is. Like you should know, like 
these are, this is my ideal, like customer that will be successful in my company. So like the mindset of knowing your customer is like in the root of it. So like, if you think about the way you do it at scale, like if you're targeting broad audiences, you're not going to get the same as like the personalized messages to like, I'm going to target ads to just take service time, for example, like HVAC professionals, like, cause you know, like HVAC professionals that are, you know, are like SMB, like there's a different sell to HVAC by a customer's SMB versus HVAC enterprise versus HVAC commercial versus service and repair. Like there's different ways you talk to those people. Right. It, it, it is. What's interesting about all of that, Daniel, is regardless of what that is, the scale question is a slippery slope because here's where we, we came from, right? When we came from a place of, oh, lead generation is so easy. There's almost everybody, um, regardless of marketing background or not, can figure out how to do lead generation. You spend money to get leads. You can do ads. On Facebook, you can get leads or contacts. You can do content syndication and you can get leads. So we gamified that to a point where marketing now has the biggest budget, right? I mean, the I think I was reading some study when we were doing this whole CMO course was where almost the marketing, the budget has gone up almost 70% from last seven years, which is ridiculous how much money marketing has today to spend. But all that came because the process was such that it was, oh, give marketing more money so they can give us more leads so we can scale the process, hire salespeople to work through it. The more leads we get, the more customers we do, we will go through the sound. So we made it a machine. Now, the machine, the challenge with machine is it, 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 you can, in, in any warehouse scaling that you're, you're talking about, it all breaks when you want to customize a package. Right, it only works when you have to do the same thing to the same type of way in the same box and put it out there. That's when the assembly line works. Now, if you say, "Well, I got to create a different box for a different set," it breaks. You can't do an assembly line. So that's where it breaks. So it's a slippery slope because scale is possible, but in different segments. So, for example, you can create at scale healthcare industry campaign where every time you go after a healthcare company, you have a set of tenants of content and ebooks and direct mail that is very specific to that versus if you go out for a manufacturing industry it's going to be different so you can set it apart where it's not all the same but you have different pillars of it but if you do all the same thing you run into the same issue and i've seen this more often than not people we, we would immediately go back to the old ways because it's easy and we have to constantly correct ourselves and over rotate on the fact that it only works when the other side feels like it is enough personalized that they feel like you care about it, you understand their business. If they feel like it's, they don't, you don't understand their business and it's the same thing, you're not going to close it. It's kind of funny because someone commented on one of my posts yesterday and they, and I, I think it was an outbound rep and I made a little like kind of joking post about like how everybody outreaches to me and it's like, like they don't like get to know me or anything like that. And some sales rep commented, like, 
Yeah, but it's a numbers game. And I think that's like the problem. Like yes. the the thinking of the numbers game, like the the problem that like you just said to me is the problem that I don't like it is because you see me as a number and not a, a human behind the number. Like, and that's the problem that I that I have with people thinking, oh, it's a numbers game. Like it isn't a numbers game. You're actually selling to human beings. Like you can't think of them as numbers. And that's where... That's why I don't think like when you call them leads, it's a bad name. Like, I think like eventually I hope like the marketing industry calls them like one potential customer just came in yeah. or one potential, like whatever your branding. I think like the thought process of numbers is just so messed up. Like, and I think of it, I do it as a marketer all the time. So I, I'm guilty of it. But I went once that person said it to me, I was like, okay, like that is messed up. Um, What's interesting about that comment, Dan, is also, Two years ago, I made a conscious choice of not using the word prospect anymore. So in any of my content, you will never see me saying a prospect because I asked myself, oh, do I like to get prospected? Let me ask you, do you like to be prospected? Do you like to be hunted? Do you like to be wailed out of the water? Like all the thing that the sales team has always been using. And I think marketing is guilty of that, as you said. So I said, I'm just not going to call them like that. I'm going to talk about customers and future customers. And at one of the events where I was speaking, I said, tell me how many of you send uh, a, an email to all of your future customers? Everybody is there and everybody sends a newsletter out. Okay, great. How many of you send to your customers? Few of them raised hand and I'm like, okay, well, how many times do you send them email? Well, to customers, whoa, we only send them once a month or something. We don't want to bother them. We don't want to oversend them anything. I'm like, okay, how many times do you send it to the future customers? Well, almost every day. I'm like, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. The only reason you're not sending the emails to your customers is because you respect them. You think that you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't waste their time. And if you thought there is enough value in what you send, you would have sent it to them. But to the people that are quote unquote prospects, you don't care because it's a numbers game. So you keep sending like, this is the seventh email I'm sending you. I know you didn't read the last six, but I hope you read the seventh one I'm about to send you. Like we do this all day long. And that's why I keep going back to the scale is such a slippery slope, because if that's what you do with your targeted account, you're gonna miss it. Because your targeted account shouldn't receive seven unsolicited, invaluable, or not valued at all concepts. They should receive stuff that's gonna help them be better at their job. Uh, that you can scale that at the level that we have been used to scaling it. Yeah, I love that concept of you should send the same exact kind of, like if you're not going to email your customers that much, you shouldn't email your prospects that much. I want to flip the topic a little bit more because I want to help people in like middle of their career and younger their career who have aspirations to become a CMO and they have aspirations of going like, how does someone start thinking about that? And what are like some key like steps that they can make internally or like key steps that they can do outside their day-to-day job to like want to become a CMO? Because I think another layer of that question is like, does it matter what part of marketing you're in to like get to a CMO? Because like people, you always hear like stories like, oh, that person was in demand gen or that person was in product marketing or that person was in communications. Or that's where, like, what is, I, I just wanted to get that because I want to make it like valuable for people who are wanting to reach that. Yeah. 
Oh, I mean, I think you know, in the peak community, uh, I created a course for how to become a CMO because in the last five years, Daniel, I've, I think I've mentored, I forgot, I don't have the number. I mean, the companies I'm advising and the marketers I'm, 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 I'm just helping, I get that all the time. And I've realized that one, not everybody should become a CMO. And people don't know that. People feel like they want to be, but they don't know what it takes to become a CMO. And you actually may hate being a CMO. So I ended up just creating a course in the peak communities. If anybody's interested, just hit me up later. I'll, I'll connect me to my LinkedIn. I'll send you the link to that. But it's, it's quite simply, there are a couple of things that I can share in the amount of time we have. One is that in order for anybody in the marketing team to become a CMO, it's an extremely hard job. People should recognize that the chance of becoming a CMO is less than 1% if that. And the reason I say that is because think about it. If you are in a sales role, you, you, you have a natural progression. You become an SDR, you become an AE, you become a manager, you become a director, you become a VP of a region, you become a CRO. And you, when you are good at it, they say, give me five more of those, right? Like that's what happens. Same in engineering, same thing in customer success. Marketing is the only function in which it's unscalable. Like you cannot have five graphic designers in your team. You, you have one or two. You, you won't have 50 content marketers. You'll have one or two. You won't have 25 events manager. And the problem is you can't have an events person do the job of a graphic designer. You can't have a content marketer go run events. So it's a very specialized role. So when marketers say they want to become a CMO, my number one question is like, okay, so what do you do now? Somebody might say, oh, I'm a, I write, I create great graphics. Great. Do you love your job of creating graphics? I'm, they're like, yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, you're going to hate it because when you become a CMO, you're not going to do that. Are you okay with that? And they're like, no, I love the Well, Then you should go and do a creative agency or something like that. But you shouldn't expect yourself to become a CMO because many people become a CMO. You need to look at the financial statements. You need to understand what EBITDA means. Most people don't even know what that is. You need to actually build the best relationship with someone that they probably have never talked to, which is the CFO. The CFO is the person who would actually give you the budget, not typically the CEO. The CEO is going to ask the CFO, do you trust Sangram? Do you trust Daniel that he's going to spend the money and make sure that it works? And if you have never talked to the CFO, if you've never put a budget together, if you've never gone through the grueling process of doing the trade-offs of like, give me a dollar so I can give you $3. If you haven't gone through any of that, you're not ready for it. So all these, when I go through in that course, I go through this, these concepts like the people you need to make friends with, the things that you need to, to, to start building. And more importantly, and this is something most people are really bad at. I, I say this all day long. Marketers are the worst marketers of themselves in the company. So they create all this great content and all that stuff, but within their company, nobody really knows how good and what they're good for. And so they don't know market what they are really good at. They don't really pull all those things together. And thereby they're really lousy uh, CMOs if they become one because they haven't really done that. So that's what I did in the course of like, let me just go through this process. And I hope at the end of the course or end of this thing, people realize that it, I'm not, I don't want to be a CMO and that's great then you know your purpose. But if you want to be a CMO, know that whatever you do today, you're going to have to dramatically move away from that and you have to be okay with that. Yeah, and I, you made such a great point. And I think this is the one lesson I've got recently from a CMO that I really trust. And 
they were saying like, even just most people, and I wouldn't say just most marketers are terrible at internal selling their ideas internally. Like they're just bad. They'll say like, I want to do X, Y, and Z instead of going to tail, like it's ABM basically internally. Like you tailor your pitch to a CFO to tell them what you want to get. You tailor your pitch to the head of sales because you know what their goals are. You tailor your pitch to the head of CS because you know their goals. You tailor your pitch to... And like what I come to realize is like you can pretty much do anything in a company if you know how to sell your idea and it's yes. going to make an impact in the business. Like it's a fact. Like, and I know I've seen someone rise quickly to a CMO because of this, because they, they're just so good at like selling their ideas, taking on the project, running the project, succeeding in the project, going to do another project. And they just slowly move up because they, sold their idea they believed in it they'd sold it to the right people the right people believed in them and nobody was doing that idea and they just moved the ring so i think like what you just said right there i think like yeah you have to be good at marketing yourself like and you're and not on yourself your ideas like i think like like good at and that, that's so weird to me because marketing you're supposed to be so good at messaging to other people <laughs> and, here's one other thing daniel i'm curious to get your thoughts on it I've never seen busy people get promoted. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't think about that. If a, I had this, uh, this person at multiple different companies, different types of people, but they would be like, I'm all, I'm busy. I'm, I'm doing all these things. I like, I'm, I have these things that I'm, uh, I'm like working in 12 hours a day and I'm working on weekends. I'm, I run away from that person because what I get from them is that they don't know how to prioritize. They don't know how to say no. They don't know. They're going to burn out if they, they get into a bigger role. And they clearly do not have bandwidth to take anything more. Yeah, and I and always, I, it's good to answer your question. I think like the way I even think about it as a marketer when I go into projects is, and even if I go into a new company, I say, this is the problem I'm going to solve. I'm only going to focus on this problem. There are eight other problems in the company. And I know about the eight other problems, but if I... To start tackling three or four of them, I'm going to screw myself because I'm not going to do that one thing the best. And then you can move on to other things. And like the busy people, like you said, like they one, they think like their work's the best, so they don't trust their team. Like, yes. And second of all, like you got to know which parts to delegate and which parts to not delegate. And I think a lot of it you say is hiring the right people under you. It's like, like if you hire the best graphic designer you would and you were a graphic designer like you could start being the one like coming up with the vision for the graphic design and get someone to do like the touches and then you can touch it after like don't feel like so committed to your work because if you commit your work you probably don't want to be a CM, cmo as much as you exactly want. you're right yeah exactly i've seen a lot of people get into that role and they hate it and then they go try to become fractional and it's hard than that so my whole goal with that course really was to like if i get almost everyone say i don't want to become a cmo that's great now you know that you don't want to become but i think a lot of people have this fantasy oh i'll be a cmo then i can make i'll be in charge and i can make all the decisions and the world will be a better place ah, false mm -hmm. yeah and a lot of people don't get in comes from the last thing you say you're driving you have to drive a number like you're not you're driving you have to drive sales like and yes. if you're not driving sales um and you're not building a relationship with like the three most important 
actually four most important people, I would say. Actually, there's actually five most important people in the company that you do. One, CFO. Two, like the head mm-hmm. of sales. Like three, yeah. three, the head of product. Like you have to be like online with product marketing and understand what the, the building. I would also add CS because you want to have all your t- brand touch points and CS. And then the last one is yeah, like... Is operations like I think like like people underestimate like like the operations team in the company because the operations team knows everything that's going in the company. Yeah. So if you build a relationship with them, they can help you understand all these things that are going on. Hundred percent. Cool. Well, thank you so much. I want to leave you the last couple minutes just to talk about like peak or talk about your book or talk about anything you want to talk about at this last couple minutes. I know. I mean, like, honestly, one, I appreciate just being on with you, man. I love your content. Love, uh, love what you're doing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I started Peak Community really for really one reason. I, I just thought there's really no place for marketers to geek out on marketing stuff and become one person better each week. And, and it very quickly became a place for emerging CMO and CMOs. There are like over 300 people now in it. And, and every week there are like two or three events that happen specifically helping like, well, how do you do revenue operations? We have CMOs who would say, here's how you pitch to, how do you create a board deck? People like people don't know what happens behind the scenes. Uh, we bring in a CFO and say, well, how, how do you talk to a CFO? What do they care about and whatnot? Uh, we talk about personal brand, not LinkedIn personal brand, personal brand in the company, as you said, so that you get to know, like, how do I set myself up two years from now to become a CMO in this company or anywhere else? So the whole point is to really geek out on the things to help emerging CMOs become CMOs one day, and then CMOs to become even better CMOs. And that's really the group. So if anybody's interested, just DM me and uh, we'll, we'll love to get you connected. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome. I think there's highly tactical things in here that marketers should think about and deploy so thanks for your time cool thank you so much for you to you and everybody listening